third lesson today is Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? In the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our ancestors trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who seek me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. O oh, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. From the horns of the wild oxen you have rescued me, and I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kristen and Larry. You've helped us to hear the dichotomy in the psalm, this tension that was within it. It's almost bipolar. There's the lament, the grief, and then the ecstasy of the praise. And while often we talk as though never the two shall meet, the psalm reminds us that the two almost always meet. They live together. People ask Josh and me, sure that they know the answer, which is harder, a funeral or a wedding? They're often surprised when we say, a wedding, 
Well, one thing, the most obvious reason is there's no mother of a bride at a funeral. There are not annual funeral expos that you attend, at least not normal people. There's no Martha Stewart Funerals magazine that people subscribe to. And you have not invested years of your life and tens of thousands of dollars to prepare the perfect funeral. There are no perfect funerals or weddings. But one of my favorite parts of a funeral are those holy interruptions, or better said, those holy moments that accompany the grief. People laugh about their loved ones. Families and friends who have been disconnected are now brought back together. Children play, reminding us of a future that we can't fully anticipate, but trust them into. Lament and praise are not polar opposites. They're twins that live with each other. I grew up with Jeff and Jason, fraternal twins who were much like the odd couple. Jason was conservative, neat, and tidy. He was known to spend some time on his hair. Jeff would have been more at home in the 70s. The only thing he did with his hair was grow it. (laughs) They had a... A great home. We loved going over there because they had the upstairs to themselves. We'd go upstairs and and to the right, Jeff's room, it was dark and there there were piles of clothes all around and Led Zeppelin was often played. To the left was Jason's room. It was bright and neat and the latest pop song was what would be on in that room. It was kind of a choose-your-own-adventure when you went over there. I'd always go back and forth, but I never thought of Jeff without Jason, or Jason without Jeff. I I still don't. It's Jeff and Jason. They're distinct, yet together. Twins. Lament and praise are like that. We don't really get one without the other even if they seem directly opposed. The psalmist begins the lament, courageously honest, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but find no rest. This is not the prayer of an unconvinced agnostic or of an impetuous child. This is the prayer of a believer. My God. The psalmist knows God, claims God, feels claimed by God, which makes the feeling of of abandonment all the more bitter. It will be easier to dismiss God. I knew you weren't out there anyway. He's chosen the harder part. I know you're out there. I know you hear my groans, my cries. But you don't answer. Why? This is our struggle with God. 
If God's struggle with us is to get us to live more faithfully into the covenant, our struggle with God is to figure out why some days we feel like God is near and the cries of our hearts are heard. In other days, God feels distant. And it feels like the cries of our hearts fall on deaf ears. We ask questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Or more specifically, why is this person who I love suffering so? Or more personally, why am I? We're usually too polite to pin it on God and quick to give God an out. My standard reply is God doesn't want this bad thing to happen, but that God is present in it and may somehow bring some good out of it. The psalmist goes at it from another direction. He doesn't blame God for causing the troubles, but he is anguished that God did not prevent them. One fall in Spartanburg, I had raked our leaves to the edge of our yard, and some of them fell over into the asphalt. A five-year-old friend of Max came over and saw that pile of leaves, ran straight for it, jumped into it, scraped his knee. He looked right up at me and said, Why did you do that? (laughs) Because the asphalt was underneath the leaves that I had raked, and because of a choice he had made, I was held responsible. We've been known to treat God that way. I'd say unfairly. So yes, it's easy for me to let God off the hook when the bad thing that has happened can be explained by human error or human cruelty. But the psalmist isn't ready to do that. He has such a relationship with God that he expects God's protection. If evil surrounds him, as it seems to be doing, he expects that God will work things out. He expects that because that's what he knows of God. The praises that that balance the laments in this psalm all point to something God has done before or to a future time when people will praise God for what God is doing now. The psalmist has confidence that God will see him through his suffering because God has always seen his people through their suffering. If he can just get God's attention, then he knows God will respond. And God does. The psalm doesn't tell us how, just as it doesn't tell us why or what the suffering were. All we know is God responds. Something happens in the middle of verse 21. The lament, save me from the mouth of the lion, is met by the praise from the horns of the wild oxen. You have rescued me. Save me. You have rescued me. And the plan from there forward is to praise God. To invite others in to praise with Him. He anticipates a day when the already dead will praise God. And when those yet unborn will praise God. The same psalm that begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ends, future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim His deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying, He has done it. The psalmist does not believe that God is a watchmaker. 
getting the world started and letting us see what we'll do with it. The psalmist knows that this is a God who can and will intervene because this is a God who has done so before. That's obvious in the psalm. What's less obvious is exactly how God became re-engaged. There's no formula to tell us how to get God going so that our lament can be met by our praise. The main consistency I see in this psalm is for each lament, there is an accompanying praise. The twins, together. The praises are born of a story, God's story. This history of an involved God, a powerful God, a present God. In fact, it's God's presence that links the laments and the praises. The laments are when the psalmist feels that God is absent. The praises are when he knows that God is near. And maybe that's what he needed most. Maybe more than salvation from the mouth of the lion was the assurance that he wasn't facing the lion alone. Do not be far from me, he prays more than once. Jesus prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me from the cross? Many interpreters speak of this being the moment when God turned away from Jesus while Jesus absorbed the sins of the world. It could be. But we're Trinitarian, so it may not be. Perhaps the Son was reminding the Father and the Spirit that He wouldn't bear this suffering alone. In Jesus' day, quoting a line of a psalm, the beginning of the psalm was, in essence, to quote the whole psalm. Maybe what Jesus was praying included the lament of feeling abandoned. The plea that the Father and the Spirit would not be far from Him and the promise that together they would defeat this foe. Lament, praise, all rolled into one. I suppose our crying out to God could be that way. When we say, my God, my God, whether in lament born of anguish, of feeling alone in our suffering, or in praise born of thanksgiving, a feeling that God is ever near. Maybe God hears the other, the twin. The truth that in this life, we're always living in both. Maybe God's nearness is such that what he's really listening for is just the beginning of the psalm. Those first two words, my God. 